Thank you for checking out the Warehouse Church Podcast. We would love to connect with you. Take a moment and visit us at warehousechurch.com. Wherever you are, we hope this message encourages you today. Now, here's Pastor Ed. Good morning, church. What's going on? It's good to see you in the house this morning. That was, uh, we used Wonder Woman this week by request of about 40 men from our church, and we'll just leave it there, okay? But uh, I'm going to ask Pastor Gary to come up here just for a second. Our students did such a great, great job at camp this week. Our, uh, we are very, very blessed with the youth pastor and his wife that serve our church very faithfully. And Pastor Gary and Tara, we really are. Um, I didn't realize Gary was taking such a strong leadership role at the camp. And he and his wife pretty much ran the camp all week. And our kids ran the camp all week with all the other students. You guys did a great, great job. It's great to see Mackenzie singing this morning. Great job, Mackenzie. What just a a great week. I'm going to have Gary talk to you just for a moment about uh, some neat things that happened at camp this week. As a little preview, next Sunday we're having a special youth service where our guys are going to share some things and gals are going to share some things with you. But I wanted Gary to uh, just... Uh, tell you about camp this week just for a moment and, and be encouraged about what the Lord did through our students this week. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor. Well, uh, I'll start off by saying we took 35 students to camp, which is pretty awesome. Yes. Um, they were all like the dream team, all excited. Probably, probably 30 of them, it was their first time to camp. And so uh, six kids from our youth group accepted Christ. It's like 20, 20% of the kids that we took. So that's pretty crazy. And then um, a lot of other kids, a lot of other students from our group had transformation in their lives. And this morning we were just having a conversation with them uh, during our real, t- real talk. And they said, this is what God did in my life. And it was so awesome to hear some of these girls and, and these young men say, I used to act this way at home. But like the past three or four days since I've been back from camp, I realized that God has something more for me. So that's pretty awesome. We can give God praise for that this morning. And then another thing happened, which is the speaker, uh, Wes Beecham, who did an an absolute awesome job, um, challenged them and said, what time does your youth pastor get to church? And he said, if you want to make a difference in in the world, if you want to make an impact for the kingdom of Christ, then if the youth pastor gets there at 4.30, you get there at 4.30. And we had kids come up to us that night. You didn't get here at 4.30. Not 4.30. That's a Wednesday thing. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're good. (laughs) They would have been like, you're crazy. Um, But they showed up when I did this morning, and they were ready to work. And what's awesome is they had come up to us that night after service, and there was multiple students that said, hey, you know how he said you can be one of those kids? I want to be one of those kids. And so there's teenagers in our church that are willing to give their lives for Christ at this young age of like 14, 12, 16. um, And and even, even to the point of like Joe putting the podium up here after the prayer. I mean, it's just. It's, isn't it awesome to see teenagers yeah, serve is. the Lord? That's good. You hold that. Just hold that for me. Thank you, Gary. Awesome. Great job. Please be here next Sunday as our teens give a report of uh, what took place in their life this week. I know you'll be very proud of them. We're going to have a good Sunday. This month, the month of July at the Warehouse Church, between our kids that got saved in our children's uh, Kids Blast event that we had earlier this month, our youth camp, and then the last two Sundays, we've had 22 people accept Christ as Savior just this month. So we're very excited about that and thankful to the Lord for what he's doing uh, through many people in our church. And we're, 
and, 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 and what he's doing through you. Great Sunday last week when Pastor Joe uh, was ordained. Uh, I needed to take a nap from listening to the guy that spoke last week because it was high energy, lots of clap, and I had to ice my hands down after church last week. Uh, but we had a great time. Someone said to me this morning, when's Joe leaving? And I said, hopefully not soon. Uh, he's praying about a church that the Lord is preparing for he and his family. Even as we speak, we don't know where and when and what that looks like, but we're trusting God and his leadership and his direction in the lives of the Verdecchios. So you be an encouragement to them as they continue to pray for God's will. I want to invite your attention to the book of Judges, uh, chapter number six. And we're in this series called Heroes, and we talked a couple weeks ago about there are some very uh, important things to understand about heroes. First of all, heroes have special powers. Uh, secondly, they lay down their lives for others, and a hero saves the day. Um, we're going to talk about an Old Testament hero today that was really an unlikely hero, and his name was Gideon. But I want to give you a thought this morning to kind of grab onto and, and consider, because this is going to be very counterintuitive or against stuff that you've heard uh, on Facebook, or you may have even heard in church or a Sunday school class or even a devotional book. This is going to be the opposite of what you heard, so I want you to listen to the statement today uh, that we're going to build off of this morning. God does give us more than we can handle. Did, did you hear what I said? God does give us more than we can handle. Now, we've heard the opposite of that, and you've heard people say that all the time. Well, God will never give you more than you can handle. I want to tell you this morning, that's not true. You're saying, wait a minute, but people put that on Facebook. So it's got to be true, right? And we're going to learn this morning how that that is the statement that God does give us more than we can handle is so true and such a blessing if we consider that. Now, there are a lot of sayings like that that people say that uh, kind of attribute that to Scripture or say that uh, different sayings like that that make you feel that it's from the Bible that really aren't true. Here's one. Uh, God helps those who help themselves. That's not true. Uh, God will help you if, even if you can't help yourself. There was, a, uh, there was a lame man at the pool of Bethesda that couldn't move, and he asked for help because he couldn't help himself, and Jesus helped him, and he healed him. Here's number two. God wants me to be happy. I think God enjoys it when we're happy, but God doesn't want you to be happy as much as he wants you to be holy. God's, God's work in your life is not so that, man, I just hope that Ed is happy today. I like to be happy. I was happy this morning when my little granddaughter came into church, and I just looked at her and said, hi, and she smiled at me. That made me very, very happy, even though she was probably smiling at her grandmother. But that made me happy this morning. But God's goal for Ed Trinkle's life is not, or your life is not that, man, I just hope I can do everything I can to make them happy. God wants to make you holy. Here's the third one. We are all God's children. You've heard that said before. That's not true. You're not a child of God until you've been adopted into his family by accepting Jesus Christ as your personal savior. That is an exclusive, important, significant, life-changing relationship that puts you into his family, that makes you one of God's children, but not everybody in the world is one of God's children. Here's the next one. I like this one because this is... This is something that I, I would say about my vehicle, and it's just not true. Cleanliness is next to godliness. That's not in the Bible. But you've heard that said before, right? So we're, we're going through some of these. Here's another one. Bad things happen to good people. 
You say, well, that sounds true, right? But you know what the Bible says in the book of Isaiah? There is none righteous, no, not one. So the truth is, none of us are good. None of us are good enough because we couldn't earn our way into heaven. So when you say bad things happen to good people, that's not necessarily true. Bad things just happen to everybody. You know, the Bible talks about how it rains on the just and the unjust. And that's really not an accurate statement. Here's one that I think is kind of funny. Uh, it's, uh, I, I, I saw it this week on Facebook. When you die, God gains another angel. God's not making more angels. He made as many angels as he's going to make. He made you exclusively different than the angels. You are better than the angels, the Bible tells us, because you and I were created in the image of God. So when you die, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, a bell doesn't ring that's on a Christmas tree, and you instantly turn into an angel. You turn into something different. That is a sanctified, glorified, perfected saint of God who can't sin anymore for all of eternity, and that is better than angel status. Somebody say amen. Okay, and here's, here's another one uh, that, that, that'll take us right into my message this morning. God doesn't give you more than he can handle. And I'm here to tell you this morning, yes, he does, and yes, he will. And we'll understand that together. We're going to read, this, read about this through the life of an Old Testament hero whose name is Gideon. Now, I want to give you a little historical context of what took place in Gideon's life and how we get to Gideon. <clears throat> if you read in the book of Exodus, you read about a man named Moses who delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. You're very familiar with that story. He took them out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. Uh, Moses sinned. The people sinned. God wouldn't let Moses go into the promised land. God wouldn't let that whole generation go into the promised land. So they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. But Moses took them right up to the border of when they would cross another body of water to go into the promised land. God took Moses up into the hills somewhere and, and, and Moses died. So Joshua, a new leader, uh, emerges and, and Joshua takes the children of Israel into the promised land. And Joshua pretty much conquers most of the promised land. He didn't get 100% of it, but, you know, he got probably about 90, 95% of the promised land uh, conquered and, and prepared for the next generation. But something interesting happens at the end of Joshua's life. Joshua says to the children of Israel, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. As for me and my house, Joshua 24, 15, we're going to serve the Lord. And that was a significant and really prophetic statement because if you read in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 2, and I think it's verse number 10, the Bible says that right after the generation that crossed into the promised land, finished conquering the promised land, was gone, the next generation, their kids turned their hearts away from God. And over the next almost 400 years, there's about 17 to 19, you could kind of argue the number there, but there was about 17 to 19, what the Bible refers to as judges who delivered the children of Israel out of some kind of bondage or slavery or oppression by different countries that surrounded them. Most of all, you'll read about in the book of Judges, and even when you move into the lives of the kings of Israel, you read about the Philistines. They were immoral, they were ungodly, they were just a, a, a rotten group of people that wanted to destroy God's people. And over and over and over again, you read how God used a different judge to destroy them. Now, just for a little bit of historical time context, I think this is important and kind of neat for us to realize as, as, you know, as, as Americans, uh, when Gideon takes the scene, it's about 220 to 250 years after 
Joshua died. So that's, that's about how old the United States of America is, if you can think about that this morning. So the Bible talks about how, in the book of Judges, God uses these different men and women, uh, because women can be used by God too. Somebody say amen to that, all right? Uh, God will use anybody who's got a willing heart to be used by him. So let's read through the story of Gideon and learn how God does give people more than he can handle. I'm going to start in Judges chapter 6 and uh, read verses 11 through 16. God's word says this. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, that belonged to Joash, uh, the Abbey's right, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And then Gideon kind of says this to God, or the angel of the Lord, who is Jesus Christ. If you read historically, there's a difference between an angel and the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is Jesus in the Old Testament. But the angel of the Lord goes up to Gideon and said, you are a mighty warrior. And pretty much Gideon said this. What's she talking about, Willis? I mean, he said, I know you ain't talking to me. And there's a reason that Gideon felt that way. Uh, because, um, listen to what happens here. He says, uh, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord was with us, why has all this stuff happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And then in verse number 14, it says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in strength, uh, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. Now, that's very significant, because we're going to read in a couple minutes about the Midianite army that was over 100,000 people strong. But there's some things about heroes that we can understand, some facts about heroes that we can even learn about in our own lives. Fact number one about heroes, <coughs> excuse me, heroes rarely understand their potential. Now, if you read comic books or you watched any of the, uh, any of the hero movies this summer, if you saw Superman or, I mean, excuse me, uh, Spider-Man or Wonder Woman or any of these other you know, stories that we get compelled by. It starts off at the beginning by a very unassuming person who finds out through all these circumstances they really have all this significant power. And the truth is Gideon was kind of like that. When the angel of the Lord came to Gideon and said, you are a mighty warrior, you're a mighty man of God, and you're going to accomplish great things for me. Gideon kind of turned around and was looking around and saying, I know you ain't talking to me, brother. Because Gideon was not only the youngest brother of his whole family and the runt of the litter, he was from the smallest tribe of all of the kingdom of Israel, and it just didn't make sense because he did not understand his potential. And what we see when we believe or we kind of start to hear the voice of God in our life, if God's going to do something significant in and through you, and I promise you as one of his children, he wants to do that this morning. The first thing we see when God wants to do something through us is our limitations. Well, God can't do that through me. That's not, that's not possible in my life. I'm not strong enough. I'm not a good enough speaker. I'm not a good enough this. I'm not a good enough that. I want to tell you something significant. <clears throat> She's going to get mad at me after church for saying this. 
about McKenzie singing in church this morning. She, I'm gonna t- sometime, if, if you see McKenzie on the ball court, that girl's a straight-up baller. She, that girl, how many points did you average last year in basketball? Oh, his, her mama. My, I know how much she averaged. Uh-huh, I'll tell you. She's, and the reason she probably hardly didn't want to tell me is that girl's very, very, very shy. And, and that sweet girl right there, and I'm saying this because I love you and respect you and admire all that God's doing in your life, has had some educational challenges in her life. And for her to stand up in front of all these adults this morning, that's a very significant thing for her. Because for her, and I heard her say this before because I asked her last year if she would sing. I don't sing as good as that one. I don't sing as good as that one. Well, I'm not as pretty as her. And you're about the prettiest girl in the world. You're a beautiful girl. And God's got his hand on you and is using you and is going to continue to use you. Somebody give her a hand this morning. But what do we see when God starts to nudge you? Oh, I can't. Somebody else can. I'm not as good. Somebody else is better. And what we're doing is, and of course we're doubting ourselves, but we're also doubting the work that God wants to do in and through us. Heroes rarely understand their potential. Here's number two. <clears throat> Heroes often question their calling. Can you say, what? So when the voice of God became very, very clear to him, Gideon had this exchange with with, 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 with the angel of the Lord, that's very, very interesting. You've heard this statement before uh, when it comes to praying. If you've been saved for a while, you've heard this statement. Well, I've got to put my fleece out. And when people say that, they're saying this. Well, I really, really need to make sure, double protection aquafresh sure, that this is really from God. So you've heard that. So I've got to put my fleece out to see if the Lord's going to answer that prayer. And, 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 and I, I've said that before in my life, too. In verse number 17 of, of, of Joshua, of, excuse me, of Judges chapter 6, Gideon starts this exchange with the Lord. From 17 to verse 24, you'll see it says, Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. So he's probably thinking to himself, This isn't really happening. I've been spending too much time grinding grapes down in the wine press. Maybe I hit the sauce a little bit too much. But I need a sign. That was a little funny. You can laugh about that in church, okay? Uh, I need a sign. Now think about this. Like a paranoid dude. I need to make sure this is really you talking to me. Doesn't that sound funny? But Gideon was just so so unsure of himself. He says, uh, when he said that to the Lord. So in verse number 18, please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat. Uh, from an ephah flour, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the yoke. The angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, pour out the broth. Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Flyer, fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Verse 23. But the Lord said to him, Peace, don't be afraid, you're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. And to this day it stands in Oprah uh, of the uh, Abiezrites. So, so God speaks to, answers Gideon's question to prove that he's alive. But Gideon still wasn't convinced. So in verse number 20, it says, the Lord, um, the Lord said to him, 
take the meat and the unleavened bread, place it in rock. I read through all that stuff with you. Alas, I've seen the Lord face to face, verse 24. Gideon builds an altar. Then down in verse number 36, Gideon kind of continues with this idea where he's, where he's trying to really understand that this is God talking to him. And Gideon said to God in verse 36, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If, if there is dew only on the fleece and all of the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. <clears throat> and that is what happened. Gideon got up the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, and it was a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, God, don't be angry with me. I, you showed me you're alive. I did the fleece thing. This is still too much. I'm trying to figure this out. I really, really, really need to make sure it's you. So, so Gideon uh, says to the Lord, let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with the dew. So Gideon was convinced, this is God. Okay, God really wants me to do this. God's got something huge for my life. God's got something bigger than I can even understand. And I've got to trust that these tests that God allowed me to throw his way to prove that he is who he is really means that he's going to do what he said he was going to do. So here's the third thing about heroes. Heroes never forget the source of their strength. God wanted to do something. We're going to read about this now in chapter 7. God wanted to do something so God-sized that there was no doubt in Gideon's mind that it was God doing the work and not him. And I want to challenge you to think about that this morning. What God-sized task does God want to do in and through your life to prove that he is who he said he is and elevate himself and not you? Because we want, you know, I, there's some things I want to do. I want to, I want, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do this. But, but what God wants to do in my life and what God wants to do in your life is, is when that work for God is completed, that people don't look at you and people don't look at me and say, wow, look what he accomplished. Look what she accomplished. What God wants people to say is when they look at your life is, wow, that's got to be God because there's no way in the world I know that person. He or she couldn't do that. So let's look at this third idea that, <clears throat> Heroes never forget the source of their strength. Joshua, uh, Judges chapter 7. Early in the morning, uh, Jer Jeroboam, that is Gideon, that was his, they changed his name, and all his men camped in the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley of the hill of Morah. And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands, or Israel would boast against me that my strength has saved me. So I want you to go out to the army, and anybody who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 men remained. So Gideon had an army of 32,000 people. Now understand something. 32,000, they only had less than a third of what the Midianite army had. Midianite army was over 100,000 people. We'll read about how big it was in just a moment. But Gideon said to all his army, all 32,000 guys, hey, listen, we're going to go to war against the Midianites. And there's over 100,000 soldiers fighting on their behalf. So if any of you are scared, you get a free pass and you can go home. So the Bible says here, <coughs> excuse me, that... 22,000 of the 32, two-thirds of the people left. We can leave, no penalty, no problem, peace. 
And they turned their back and they went the other way and said, there's no way I'm going to do this. So let's continue to read the story. Now announce to the army, anybody who trembles with fear may turn back and leave 22,000 men left and left 10,000. But listen to what God says to Gideon. There's still too many soldiers. Okay, we have 10% at best of what the Midianite army has, 10%. That means I have one soldier for every 10 of theirs. And God says, nope, you got too many. Take them down to the water, and I'm going to thin them out for you there. And I'll say, this one shall go with you, and he shall say, but if I shall, uh, the one shall not go with you, and he will not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and the Lord said to him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps uh, from those who kneel down to drink. That's kind of funny if you think about that. 10,000 people, 10,000 guys go down to the water. They were thirsty, obviously. And some of those guys were so thirsty that they got on their hands and knees like a dog and started going, and this is what it means, laps the water. You ever see your dog drink water? And their tongue sticks out, right? And what, what happens is their tongue sticks out and it curls a little bit and it forms a little tiny bowl at the end of their tongue and their tongue goes in the water, it bends up a little bit and I'm not a dog expert, but I, I, I've seen this happen before. <laughs> like, I'm okay with dogs. Dogs aren't my favorite thing in the world. But their, their tongue goes in the water, and, and it, it just gets, and they just, and you know what happens because their tongue's moving so fast. Like water's going everywhere. If you look at a dog's bowl, there's rarely a time when a dog gets done drinking that water's not all over the place because they're, guys are doing this. Now, how funny would that have been to see 10,000 people down at the water. Check this out. 9,700 of them are drinking water this way. You say, how do you know that? Well, the Bible says that many people drank. They knelt down to drink. They were lapping like dogs. Verse 6, 300 of them drank with cupped hands, lapping like dogs, and all the rest got down on their knees to drink. So this is what they did. 300 guys, like a warrior, got down on their knee, kept their eyes up, kept looking. They were aware of what was going on. They got the water out with their hand, and they drank it that way. They didn't bury their face in the water. They, they cupped it up with their hands. And, and, and I, honestly, that's a tactic that's taught. I'm not, a, I'm not an army guy. I was never in any of the services. But that's, that's something that's understood by some of you that have served that way. So let's continue to read. <clears throat> Verse number 7. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give you the Midianites into your hands. So let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home. He kept 300 men, took over provisions and trumpets. He took the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I'm going to give it to your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So him and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley. Check this out. Thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. Basically, there was more camels than the whole army of Gideon put together. There were so many people there that it looked like a swarm of locusts. So they were terribly, terribly outnumbered there that day. Gideon arrived just as the man was telling a friend his dream. He said, I had a dream. He was saying, a, a, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp, and it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. 
His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream of his interpretation uh, and its interpretation, he bowed down and he worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and he called out and he said, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands, dividing the 300 men into three companies. He placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of them all with torches inside he said, guys, we're going to go kick some Midianite tails, what he said. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to arm you with the tools that you need to defeat this army. So here's a big jar of clay, and here's a, a, a trumpet horn that used to be the, the horn of a ram's, you know, little whatever they're called, ram's head or whatever it is, ram's horns. So, he said, so these guys, these 300 guys, are getting ready to go against the Midianite army with a jar with a little ember of fire inside of it and a horn. These guys had to be saying, man, something's going to happen because this is too crazy. We've never seen anything like this before. This doesn't make any sense. Look at all the army people. Look at all the stinking camels. That's more than we could even begin to comprehend or understand. But we're going to follow our leader. We're going to do exactly what he says because we believe God is with him. And then he says, watch me when I lead. He says, when I get to the edge of the camp, verse 17, do what I do. And when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets from all around the camp, blow your horns and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men that was with him, remember they had three companies, 100. Gideon was leading one of the companies, reached the edge of the camp and the beginning of the middle watch, just as after they changed the guard, they blew their trumpets, they broke their jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew their trumpets, smashed their jars, uh, grasping the torches in their left hands, holding in their right hands the trumpets that they were supposed to blow. And they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran and crying as they fled. When the 300 sounded their trumpet, the Lord caused the men throughout the land to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to uh, Beth, something, I'm not going to try to say that, towards Zerarah, as far as the border and Abel, Meholah, and near Tabith, Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all of Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, uh, seize the waters of the Jordan against them, against Beth Borah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, seized the water of the Jordan, as they were told to. And all of this happened. You know what happened? They won. They won. 300 people defeated over 100,000 people with trumpets, jars of clay, and a torch. If, if you try to comprehend that, it, it, it just doesn't make sense because we've never seen anything like that before in our lifetime. But here's the thing that I want you to understand that we read earlier in, in the message this morning. God does give us more than we can handle. And there's a reason why he does that. God gives us more than we can handle. First thought is this, because salvation is exclusively from the Lord. We can't earn our salvation from God. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he saved us in Titus chapter 3. Psalm 37, 39 says this, the Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. Now, salvation is being talked about in two different ways here. Let me, let me explain that to you. How many of you in your lifetime or recently have ever been in trouble? Raise your hand up in the air. Like trouble. 
like scared trouble, like you thought like something bad was going to happen. We took a group to uh, Guatemala a couple years ago, and our host, uh, the Mana Grand Poobah, Bruce O'Neill, who many of you know very well, Bruce is my buddy. Uh, I went, if, if you want to see what Bruce looks like, go look at my Facebook. I've got my arm around Bruce, and his little head is kind of tucked up under my armpit, and it looks like his body is about to, it looks like I could eat him and my body wouldn't change at all. It looks like my body's like swallowing his. He's a little dude. Well, he took us, and when, you, when you're in a foreign country and somebody who kind of knows the foreign country but doesn't know it super well says, hey, I know a shortcut. Let me promise you something. You are in big, big trouble. So he takes us out in the middle of nowhere, shortcut. We get about a mile out into what was a dirt road that turned into where people with Jeeps would go four by fouring, and we were in two 15-passenger church vans. And we were, I mean, it was like this. We were driving two miles an hour, every wheel, the suspension, and all this different stuff, and I'm thinking, I'm glad these are rental vans. I'm so glad that if something happens to these, we bought the insurance. We're bouncing all over the place. There's words coming out of our passengers that I have never heard before, nor am I allowed to repeat this morning. We were bouncing, we were scared, and then we stopped because we couldn't go anywhere because the gully was too deep. And Bruce gets out, we look at it and said, man, that looks like it's gonna hit the underneath of the van. This doesn't look safe. And as we turned and looked, there was a lot of people watching us. And there was 30 Americans, 30 big fat Americans. And we thought we were gonna be somebody's dinner there that night because we were in the middle of the jungle and we were scared, okay? Well, the Lord delivered us from that it's a great story today. I'll never take a shortcut with Bruce O'Neill again. But I felt that it was kind of funny because as much as we were trying to keep people, oh, this is no big deal. This is going to be fine. Don't worry about it. We're going, oh, my gosh, something bad's going to happen today. We were really scared. I know we had a couple ladies in the car saying, this is more serious than they're letting us to believe. And they started praying. Lord, will you deliver us? Now, that's a silly story. But maybe you have a story in your life that's very significant that's not a silly story. When my wife Kim was pregnant with Kelsey 25-ish years ago, when she was seven months pregnant, I got a call. I was working third shift when I was in Bible college, and I got a call from my next-door neighbor and said, hey, we just put your wife in an ambulance. She passed out. Something's going wrong. She has real bad pains in, in her stomach. And she was seven months pregnant, so we thought something's going on with the baby. We had no idea. And I get to the hospital. Uh, it was like 4 in the morning, and the doctor came out and said to me, your wife, uh, her gallbladder just uh, we have to take her gallbladder out she's having an attack it's probably either going to explode whatever that means and if something happens like that it can get into her pancreas this is very serious if we don't take her gallbladder out now mr trinkle she could die and i was by myself there was four o'clock in the morning my kids were being watched by somebody i never met before christine and katie with one of our next door neighbors and i remember they took her in i kissed her she was out and I went into that room, and I just started praying. I said, God, I can't raise these girls by myself. They need her more than they need me. Would you please, Lord, not because I deserve it, but would you? And I cried out to God, because you know what? I was in trouble. I was in trouble. Raising girls by myself, there's no way. People say to me all the time, oh, Ed, you got great kids. Like it's my fault they're great. My kids are great because of their mama. Let me promise you this morning. And, and we are so, so blessed. And I, I, I was in trouble. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't have a cell phone. This was before cell phones were invented. There was such a time. 
I couldn't call my dad and say, Dad, what should I do? I, I had to go ask somebody for some quarters to go use a payphone. They existed too, you know? I was scared. To, I was in trouble. You know what I did? I called out to the only person that was listening to me that night, and that was God. Sometimes we're in trouble. And we've got nowhere else to turn. But God, here's the thing about God. Salvation when you're in trouble and the literal salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can't count on ourselves for salvation is only from the Lord. Here's the second thing that God wants to teach us about this principle that God does and wants to give you more than you can handle. Here's number two. God wants you to rely on him and not yourself. Listen, I'm not saying some of you people aren't strong. Ladies, if you have kids, you have a strength that most men don't understand in being a mom. You really do. I don't get it. You know, but I'm thankful for the, for the women that have influenced my life and my kids and the wife that God's given me. But there's just times in your life where God wants you to empty yourself of yourself because he wants, listen, it's not a bad thing to understand you can't handle things by yourself. Because God really does want you to cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And he wants you to depend on him. He wants you to know that he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to take that relationship away from you that you, when you've given your heart to Jesus Christ. He will always be there. Now listen, here's the thing about God. He's not a genie and he's not going to listen to us when we snap our fingers and say, I need. Because he always knows what is best for us. And he may be growing you and he may de be developing you. And that's when difficult things come into our life. You say, how is this God's will? Listen, there are some verses that are hard for people to hear that are going through hard times in their life. All things work together for good for those that love God and those that are called by him. That's hard to say to a woman that just lost her husband. That's hard to say to a parent that just lost a child. That's hard to say to somebody that's going through the valley of the shadow of death. What we need to do is love on them and surround them with prayer and care about them, not preach at them. We gotta learn how to do that. But God does want us to care because he wants us to know that he cares. And he's got a bigger plan for all of us. And what God is teaching us daily in our lives, he wants us to rely on him and not ourselves. 2 Corinthians 1.9, listen to this verse. It says in, in 2 Corinthians 1.9, in fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. And listen to this. I expected to die, but as a result, I stopped relying on myself and learned to rely on God who raises people from the dead. Do you see the contrast there? I was expecting to die, and I know that I'm finite, and I know that I'm limited, and I know that I can't do all things, but I can do all things through Christ because he's the one that raises people from the dead. And God wants us to rely on him. Let me ask you something. Are you relying on God this morning? I'm going to tell you something I'm praying for for the Warehouse Church. I'm praying that something happens for our church so unreal and so unbelievable that not one person will say, wow, Ed did a great job. Or the deacons and the board members were masterful in the way that they handled their business. I want people to say, oh, 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 oh this doesn't make sense. It had to be from God. So people see that he's working in this church. Now, we have to be wise, and we have to be good stewards, and we have to do what God's called us to do. But don't we want something bigger than us to take place in this church? We want God to do that in and through us. And, you know, we could look at what we've accomplished. Listen, God has blessed our church to be able to do some things in the last month that many churches will never be able to do in their history. 
This last month, because of the generosity of Canyon Creek Church and its members for over 40 years, we had designated missions money. You say, what does that mean? We had some money set aside specifically to bless other like-minded ministries. And just in this last month, this church, because of what God did in and through people that's beyond themselves, have been able to send some money to start two orphanages, one in Guatemala and one in the Philippines. We're hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids. Hundreds of kids, if not thousands, if the Lord tarries his return, will get to grow up in a place where they're loved and they'll get to hear about Jesus. There, there's, a, uh, there's a church planner in, in Portland, Maine, who, who was talking to me on the phone a couple weeks ago. And, and I was talking to him about what his church is doing. He said, man, rent's this much money. We don't have enough money. We were able to pay three months of his rent. Um, we had a church planner in Orlando that, that planned some summer outreaches, mailers in the fall, and, and things for his church to do to reach his community. We have a young man who some of you that are long-term members of, of Canyon before we came over to Warehouse Church. How many of you remember a guy named Mike Stansel? Raise your hand up in the air. Mike used to work at this church. Mike was kind of, Mike was kind of a rebel a little bit because he did something weird. He brought homeless people to our church. You know, he did. And a lot of them got saved. And it was hard. It was kind of a, it was, it was boy, it was mixing oil and water a little bit. But, but Mike had a real heart for, for reaching people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Mike's in Orlando. I was talking to him. Some of you that know Mike know this. Wife, wife's, Mike's wife has very, very serious cancer. And she's in like her second or third round of, of, of intense chemotherapy. She doesn't have any hair right now. She wears a, one of those neat little tunic things for ladies. For, if a guy gets cancer and loses his hair, he looks like Mr. Clean. But if a woman does, that's a big, big deal. You know? And she just has grace and exudes grace and is ministering to her family. And just every day she's just embracing. They're a sweet, sweet couple. Our church was able to bless. They, all of their equipment that they use for mobile church has almost... Uh, withered away into nothing. I said, Mike, how can our church help you right now? He said, I found a soundboard that goes for 3500 new, and but I can get it for $2,000. Can you help us? I said, Mike, what would it take to get your mobile church equipment from where it is now into something that's very, very functional and good? He said, Ed, it's, it's a God amount of money. It's like $25,000. I said, Mike, our church is going to do that for you. That young man started bawling on the phone. He said, I thought the people of Canyon Creek forgot about me. And so I'm like, we need to forget about you. But listen, it doesn't matter what we're doing. This came from God. It came from God. Because it's, listen, that kind of phone call, that's a fun phone call to make. That's a fun phone call to hear somebody that gracious and and thankful. And that's not my money. That's his money. And I've been tasked to, to do some of this stuff. And to be, boy, I'm the happiest mail carrier in the whole world right now, let me promise you. But every good gift and every perfect gift comes from where? It comes from above. It's from God. And we're going to do some more stuff. But listen, here's the thing that's really crazy and humbling about that. Those are prayers that were prayed by those missionaries and those church planners, and God allowed our church to be a part of that. That is way bigger than we are. That's way bigger than we are. Because here's the thing. God does not want us to depend on what we can do ourselves. God wants us to depend on him and not ourselves. Because it's it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. If you think about this, remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000? I'm going to wrap it up. I'm sorry. I'm just excited this morning. The feeding of the 5,000, 
Jesus says to his disciples, we got to feed all these people. Now, 5,000 men, 5,000 men plus their wives plus their kids, in excess of 20,000 people, right? So Jesus says to the disciples, hey, guys, go get some food. we got to feed these people. And they're like, you got to be kidding me. So they, what did they do? They came to Jesus with five loaves of bread, two fishes. What did Jesus do? He prayed, blessed it, it multiplied. Everybody fed. Everybody was fed, right? There was leftovers for everybody, especially the boy that gave his offering. But, but listen, to this, listen to this part of the story. Jesus said to his disciples, sit everybody down in companies of 50 and 100. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that food to them. Now, they probably were thinking, okay, we're taskmasters. we gotta, I got to go down and feed every row of people. Every... Think about this for a second. Think about the hungry father and the hungry mother with hungry kids and the way that they looked in the eyes of those disciples. Because I, I know this. How many of your parents in the, in the room? Raise your hand up in here. How many of your parents? Okay. When somebody's nice to you, they're your buddy, right? When somebody's nice to you, they're your buddy. When somebody's nice to your kids, that's like a life debt. You treat my kids good. Listen, if you love all my girls and my son-in-laws and my granddaughter, there's almost anything I wouldn't do for you. I mean that with all my heart. There's just something different. You do nice stuff for me, I'm pumped. Thank you very much, that was very, very kind. You do nice stuff for my kids, uh, it's almost like a slave thing. I'll do whatever you want me to do, you love my kids. Honestly, that's how those parents felt the day. that. But Jesus gave that blessing to those disciples to distribute his miracle. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that people can be saved, and he gave you and he gave me the privilege of taking his gift to the whole world and say, Jesus loves you and he wants to save you. We don't save them. We just tell them. We don't save them. We just love them. We don't save them. We just bless them. We don't save them. We just take our time and do what God's called us to do because their dependence doesn't need to be on us. We have a responsibility to disciple. We have a responsibility to grow. We have a responsibility to get them from a, to, to a good church. But here's the truth. Number three, salvation is from the Lord. He wants us to rely on him because why? Because God is for you. In the spirit of my friend, Pastor Anthony. How many were here last week when Pastor Anthony was speaking? Okay. In the spirit of Pastor Anthony, who did a great, great job last week. Look at somebody that's sitting near you and say, God is for you. Tell them that this morning. Now, say it loud enough so Spanish church can hear next door. God is for you. God is for you. Romans 8.31 says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? God wants to equip you and use you because he is for you. What is the strategy that you have for, listen, for, for winning in your life? Do you listen to the loser Satan who tells you that you cannot? You know what you can say to the loser Satan when he says to you, you can't? Say, you know what, Satan, you're right, but God can. I'm not strong enough to do that. That's way bigger than me, but God's going to do that through me. When the loser Satan tells you that you can't share your faith because you're shy, you can't share your faith, that's somebody else's job. That's a pastor's, that's a deacon's, that's a staff person's job. That's Gary's job to do. Look at his hair. He don't even care what people think about him. That's Gary's job to do. But listen, here's the truth. God wants to do it through you. And when God tells you, you can give generously. Listen, this giving that's, that's, that's going to be part of the DNA of the culture of this church that we're being able to be a part of now, when that money runs out, we're not going to stop giving. We're going to give to other church plants and other missionaries and other projects all over the world so that we can do what God says he wants to do through us and believe that he'll do it. Why? Salvation's from God. We're supposed to rely on him. God is for you. Here's the last thing, and I'll pray. You and I are more than conquerors. Romans 8.37 says this. Now, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ 
who loved us. Gideon was a hero. And when we look at the victory that he won, there's no other way to say it but that God did that through him. 300 men walked into an army encampment of 100,000 soldiers with confidence. And they did this. That's all they did. That's all they had. But the God calls this confusion. The Midianite guys are... Maybe they, maybe they were messed up from the night before. What's happening? Who's near me? And they all killed each other. And not one of Gideon's 300 guys died that day. And that whole army was wiped out. Why? God. God. So think about this this morning again. Salvation's from God. Do you rely on him? God is for you. And you and I are more than conquerors. Will you let God do through you what you can't do on your own because God wants to give you more than you can handle. Let's pray this morning.